are so grateful for this time of year where we can step back and reflect on the reality that you are with us. And I pray that as this word is brought forth and we continue to look at these texts throughout this time, that you would think our thoughts, my words would be yours. You would bend our wills to your own and set each and every one of our hearts on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. I've stumbled across pictures of my mom who passed away in July this past week, pictures I've never seen of her. And, and, and pictures of her when she was really young and beautiful and smart, intelligent and witty. She was one of the most funny people I've ever known. She told me this in high school. You know, because she was one of the original feminists in the sense that she wasn't getting paid what her co-workers would pay, and she wouldn't put up with it. She went to the authorities and said she needed to be paid, you know, in 1950. And so my mom said, you know, Jean, you know what would have happened if three wise women had been there instead of three wise men? I said, no, Mom, but I have a feeling you're going to tell me. She said, well, first of all, if there were three women, they would have asked for directions. They would have delivered the baby, cleaned the stable, made a meal for Joseph and Mary, and would have delivered three practical gifts. Well, we hear these stories each and every year at our carol service, and we reflect upon what the meaning of this season really means. And as we've heard in the texts in the first part of this service, as we're going to hear for the rest of our service, what we have, and we'll continue to hear, is multiple perspectives. And we're being shown something by God about what is ultimate reality. We're not being asked to take a leap of faith in order to see that God is real. To believe in God. God is showing us that he is real. And he's inviting us to encounter him personally. And he gives us signs. That word is used. Signs of that reality in these readings. Real evidences that this is not a delusion. This is not a fantasy. But he is in fact real. The first sign as we've heard is prophecy in history. That God would come into this world born of a virgin in a very specific location. Hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. We heard through the prophet Isaiah that the Lord will give you a sign. And the virgin will be with child. And they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. A virgin having a baby, God with us. 700 years before that baby would arrive. The person who created the time-space continuum would step into time and space, into history, to be born of a virgin. Think about that. Isaiah predicted this would happen, and this would be the sign. The prophet Micah prophesied 
in Micah 5, 2, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Again, hundreds of years before it happened, the birth of the eternal God as a human being in Bethlehem was predicted. It's as if God is giving us clear signs in history for people who might need to know that he's real. That we have not been duped in some way. God's coming is real, historical, not in some kind of, oh, how I wish it were true fashion. No, as human beings, we all can struggle with facing up to the facts as they're given to us and some of our embracing delusions. Kind of like the little girl who's at school and she's learning about childbirth, so she comes home and she says, Mom, how did I come into the world? Well, Mom wasn't really quite ready to have that discussion yet. And so she said, well, sweetheart, it just came to her. You know, you were brought by a stork and placed on the back step. And there you were. And I picked you up and I brought you into the house. And me and Daddy have been taking care of you ever since. So the girl looked a little puzzled and said, how did, how did, how did you come into being, Mom? And she goes, well, it was the same way with Grammy, you know. Stork, big fat stork came and just dropped me off on the back porch and there I was and Grammy raised me. Honey, it's just how it happens in our family. Well, the girl went back to school the next day and she was doing this project and so she wrote in her project that there hasn't been a natural birth in our family for three generations. Sometimes we have a problem embracing fact and confusing it with other people might call delusion. Sometimes people imagine the Christian faith is a particular kind of sugarcoating of reality, and nothing could be further than the truth. Jesus is light and life, as we will hear read later. God is coming into history. This is not wish fulfillment. Luke, as we heard in the gospel readings, locates the era of a specific Roman emperor's particular census. And it was carried out by a particular Roman governor. Therefore, the Lord wants us to know that it's important that not only we know that it happened, but when it happened. Luke was a doctor. He was a man of science. He was not easily duped. And he was a Gentile who came to faith in Christ. And he wanted to investigate it, and he did, and all the claims, and it was important to him to report whether it happened or not. The Christmas story is not a fantasy or some ethereal moral principle, my friends. This is a verifiable historical reality. Stating a claim for the attention for the entire human race. And so on the person of Jesus of Nazareth, on the claim that God has entered history, history and he's initiating a relationship with us. So it's in a way that we can observe, that we can scrutinize, and that we can question and make a decision for ourselves. 
you're here to say, this prophecy has been fulfilled in Jesus. That's the first sign. Second sign we heard read was the sign to the shepherds. They were told that they would find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, we all have nativities in our home. We've all been to preschool nativities. Tomorrow, I can't wait, I get to see my granddaughter, Idabel, be a snow owl in a nativity. She refused to be a barnyard animal, and the teacher called Mary and said, she won't be a sheep, she wants to be an owl. And Mary goes, oh, we can do an owl. We have an owl outfit, because that's one of her favorite animals. And she knows animals inside and out, this little girl. It's amazing. And so I can't wait to see my snow owl in Bethlehem. We love these nativity plays, don't we? We really do, but they're so familiar to us, perhaps we don't grasp the strangeness of this sign to the shepherds. The shepherds were blue-collar working men. They were not given to flights of fancy. They were at work when these angels appeared. And this angel encounter, they would not certainly have been given over to an over-emotive state of mind. They were real people. So when this angel appears to the shepherds, they would have needed evidence that this was not some weird sense of mass hallucination. And they were clearly told, this is a sign to you. As if the angel were saying to them, your questions and doubts are okay, shepherds. We recognize this is strange for you to see. And the evidence that a Savior has in fact been born to you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. The location is a sign that we're familiar with. A sign of significance. See, this Christmas story tells us of a God who enters into our suffering dark world. It's powerfully demonstrated in the place of Jesus' birth. Occurring in what amounts to be a stable placed in a cow's feeding trough. You know, all my children were born in nice hospitals with highly trained doctors and nurses that we were confident that if something went wrong, they could take care of them. And Becca as well. But God was born as a human in our real world with only dad there to deliver the baby. You see, Jesus doesn't remain distant from the dark or the pain of human existence. He enters this broken world that we live in, born not in a palace, but in a stable. And perhaps the dirtiness of that stable implies the darkness of our present world. The scars that we bear. The secret fears that we carry, that we tell no one. The, the things that we hope no one will ever find out about us. 
it's into this world that you and I know that God with us is born. And the prophet Isaiah said, the people who walk in this darkness have seen a great light. People walking in darkness. Now I'm sure, even here in our nice neighborhoods that we live in, some have experienced and sensed that people around us are struggling with all kinds of darkness. The anxiety of our culture. The moral darkness, the breakdown of relationships, the breakdown of trust between generations. Isaiah says people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. To that darkness that you and I experience, light has come. John's gospel says light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. At Christmas time, we celebrate and affirm both the truth of our reality of darkness and that we're not left there. A light has come into this world in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now, light does a number of things. It opens our eyes. It says things that as they are. And light reminds us that we're not forgotten. You know what it's like to walk into a dark room and you can't find the light switch. I did that this morning. I'm still learning this building. I'm like, where is the light switch? And all of a sudden, you're walking through this room, and somebody casts on the light, and all of a sudden, you can see, and you have deliverance. Thank God. When I was a child, my brother and I would go camping with my dad in the Shenandoah Valley. It's one of my favorite childhood memories. We'd go out into the woods where there were no, like, nothing, three people per square mile, you know, type of places because no one lived out there it was great and one summer night i the fireflies were just all out and i was four or five about idabel's age and i just started catching fireflies and i went into the woods to catch fireflies and next thing i know it was so dark i couldn't even see my hands i was what I felt deep into the woods. And I started to get a little scared. So I looked around. I didn't know which way was which. But all of a sudden, I saw a flashlight. <laughs> About from here to the end of the church, probably. As I remember, I see that flashlight. And I started walking towards that flashlight because I knew who was holding that flashlight. It wasn't my brother Bo. It was my dad. And all of a sudden I heard his warm voice say, Gene? Yes. <laughs> I'm coming. So I got through the, the woods into the clearing where he was. And he called me Tiger. Because he would wrestle with me like Calvin and Hobbes wrestled. You ever read Calvin and Hobbes, how they always wrestled? My dad and I wrestled like that. He'd give me a cross face. I loved it. You know, he goes, Tiger, what are you doing? I'm going, I got fireflies, Steve. But that light guided me back. That's what Jesus is doing for us, people. Reminding us that the light has come into the world and the darkness can't overcome it. This light, as we heard red, has a government upon its shoulders. 
reminding us that there is an authority over each and every one of us. We have a king. May we acknowledge him this Christmas as such. This child will be a wonderful counselor. He listens to us. He's gentle and he's accessible. He's also mighty God, powerful enough to do something about our situation. He will be called Everlasting Father. In other words, he's eternal. Even though he's born in history, he has no beginning or end. And Isaiah says he's the Prince of Peace. He brings peace into this world. No matter what we're going through, we can be people of peace. Knowing that the, this light has come. So that's the second sign. That this child will be in a manger who's coming into our dark and broken world. And those shepherds came and they saw this sign and they worshipped. That's the second sign. The sign of the shepherds. The third sign is the sign of the wise men, which we're going to read in a little bit. This sign is a star. And these guys were on the totally different spectrum of the shepherds. They were highly educated astronomers and philosophers. And they recognized this sign was one that they were to follow. And they followed at a great cost and many months. Francis Collins, the head of the Human Genome Project, one of the premier scientists of our day, wrote that for him it was the detailed grasp of the universe that was assigned to him of God's existence. He wrote, when you look from the perspective of the scientists of the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. There are 15 constants, I won't read them all, but the co gravitational constant, the strong and the weak constant, the nuclear force constant, etc., etc. All these have precise values. If any of these are off by one part in a million, the universe would not have come to the point to where we see it. Matter would not have coalesced. No galaxies, no stars, no people. For Francis Collins, his studies in the cosmos have demonstrated to him that God is real. And these wise men following the star in the sky was something that made them get up and respond. They traveled from the east to investigate it. And it led them to Bethlehem. And when they saw the child, they did something utterly extraordinary for their culture and for ours. In front of this young child, they knelt and worshipped. The signs led them to believe that this was in fact God come to earth. So in conclusion, in the Christmas story, these signs lead us to God who is with us. Do you believe that? These signs, these signs of the shepherds, the signs of history and prophecy, the sign to the wise men. And we see in all of them worship. Even Mary, his mother, worships him. That this is no ordinary baby. These men working out in the field, not easily duped. These highly educated astronomers, 
all kinds of people come and worship him. So the question this Advent and this Christmas season is, will you worship him exclusively, above all? See, we all worship something. Some people worship the Browns, and I don't understand that. They do all kinds of things. They never admit it, but they do. That's worship, you know. No, my friends, we all worship something. And in these readings, we're given the appropriate response to worship God with us. I hope you see this is not the belief of some naive religious types of people easily having the wool pulled over their eyes. These are working men, scientists, young mothers have seen the evidence and they've made the decision to worship. And all around the world, this Advent and Christmas season, people will do the same. That people walking in darkness who need light and the claim of the Christmas story is that light has come into this world in Jesus Christ. And Joseph was told to give him that name. And his name means God saves. He rescues. And that he'd be able to deal with the darkness of every human heart that each and every one of us desperately needs. That's what Christmas is all about. Receiving his forgiveness, our brokenness, our sin, and giving him the worship that he deserves. And it changes everything. New life is given to the one who trusts in Christ. Let us do that again. I'm going to use the words of the carol as we, each and every one of us can recommit and follow him and that light has come into the world. Let us pray. Oh, holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.